Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. The number is 855-4-GARTEN, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is where you can get us. And let me tell you something, we are on to week three and all of a sudden, people are already kind of just going, you know what, that's it. I'm making my mind up about a team here or there. I'm completely sold on this team or that team. We're going to get into it all. I'm going to go with every single game. Focus on this Thursday game uh, right off the bat. And we're going to get into every single one of them. Here's a couple of things that we have to talk about. First of all, going into the Thursday night game, there are seven unbeaten teams left in the NFL. Seven teams. That's it. That means we have what the NFL loves. Parody. What? NFL sports bettors don't like is parody, right? Kind of can't get a hold of that one team that you really like, that one team that you want to bet against, although it's starting to kind of uh, show itself. Usually, I go by the Bill Belichick method, and the Bill Belichick philosophy or method, if you'd like to call it, is very simply this. Week four is when you are kind of that team. Now, that was on a 16-game schedule. That's one-fourth of the way into the season. And that's kind of how he looked at it. He evaluated players. He evaluated his teams in the first four weeks of the season. So we've only gone two, but this coming week is really going to kind of show us who exactly you are, right? From a betting perspective, another solid weekend for the underdogs. They went 9-6 and six against the spread through the first 15 games. So... Um, you're looking here and you're going, underdogs are crushing it, right? Underdogs are crushing it. We had the biggest underdog opening weekend or opening, we'll say week because we have to include Thursday, ever in week one. It tied the the biggest underdog week ever. Week two comes back, nine and six against the spread. The dogs go. So the dogs are barking really loud early in the season. And I always tell everybody, anybody that's ever listened to me, Be careful in all sports early in the year because there is turnover. There are coaching changes that maybe you're not aware of. There are player personnel changes that, yeah, it's not exactly the starting quarterback, but there's different positions, different areas. Guys' mindsets are different. Look, this guy got paid a lot of money. Well, maybe he's not exactly as motivated. Well, this guy's contract year. Well, maybe he's more motivated. So it usually takes a little while, and I'll go back to the Bill Belichick method in sports betting. I do not go heavy at all in the first three or four games. You get to game four, five, I start to increase my bets. By week five, six, seven, now you're in the uh, the thick of it, and you should understand, and you should know kind of some things. So we're still a little early, so I want everybody to kind of pay attention. Um, Let's talk about the 0-2 teams. Only 12% of NFL teams that start 0-2 wind up making the playoffs. That's it. Only 12%. But here is where they have to win this week, right? Only 3.5% of those teams start and they go 0-3. Well, that's that's 3.5%. So if you go 0-3, you're only sitting down at 3.5%. Got to avoid the 0-3. Um, you, you are starting to see a few things early on in this season and a few things... 
that we can, as sports bettors, kind of draw from, kind of take away from. So let's look at a couple of these things that we can certainly draw from and take away from, right? Teams that run the ball in a passing league, in a league that passes and throws it all over the place and every rule is designed. Teams that run the ball still win. Teams with the most rushing yards are 22 and 10, right? So teams that run the ball and teams scoring 30 plus are 16 and four. By the way, home teams, that home field advantage, that three-point advantage, home teams are just 16 and 16 through 32 games. So early on, let's look at running teams. Who's going to be able to score? Obviously, if you score 30, you're winning the game. Who runs the ball? Who scores into the 30? And it doesn't matter if you're home or away. That's early on. I will tell you, when we're talking about scoring and and yardage and games and whatnot, how about this? Let's talk about air yards per game. Because it is kind of interesting when we talk about the top four. Raiders, Jaguars, Bills, and Bucks. Bills and Bucks are Super Bowl contenders. The Raiders are one of the hottest teams right now. We know what Derek Carr is doing. And the Jaguars are in there. On the other end, Falcons, Pats, Bears, Saints, Niners. Well, the Falcons are bad. We know that. And the Bears are probably not going to be good. But the Saints look good. The Niners, people were talking about Super Bowl. And the Patriots are a team that was looking at the playoffs. So air yards doesn't mean everything, which brings me back to the rushing yards. Teams that lead in rushing yards lead 22 to 10. And I, I look, I get the argument. You're going to go, well, Tom, yeah, because they're winning the game. So they're going to run the ball at the end of the game. Very true. Makes a lot of sense. I get where you're coming with that. Okay. But at the end of the day, I think that the running game still gets overlooked in this league. You still got to run the ball effectively. One last note before we go into the Thursday night games, because we are going into a primetime game here. And this is a wild stat that I absolutely expect to change. And it, it could change as early as the Thursday game. Primetime games right now have gone 6-0 and to the over. That's the first two opening Thursday night games, right? The opening night game between Dallas and the Bucks, the Giants and Washington, the two Sunday night games, and the two Monday night games. All six have gone over. Now, traditionally, and we know this, over is a public bet, especially the Sunday and Monday night game. And now you can even throw the Thursday night game in there because, look, Generally speaking, the public, they love overs. You know what? I'm going to watch the game. I don't really like any team. I'm just going to root for some scoring, so let me go over. That's the mentality. That's where people are coming from. So the over is a massively publicly bet uh, situation. And when you're talking about prime time, the books have cleaned up. Make no mistake. Sports books are cleaning up in the first two weeks of the season. But they're kicking themselves because of the totals. I expected the totals to be inflated this week. I expected all of the primetime totals to be inflated this week. And, you know, look, you look at the Monday night game, opened up at 52 and a half. It it, it kind of fell down to about 51, 51 and a half. That's a game where I think it was lined right. I I don't think it was overinflated yet. Green Bay, San Francisco, lined opened up at 45 and a half, went all the way up to 49, 49 and a half in some spots. I think that's a little lofty. I think it's a little overreaction, but not crazy. So when is the overreaction coming, right? We might have another week where we can jump on top of this. 
Carolina-Houston, though, opened at 45. That's down to 43, obviously, because of the quarterback problem. So let's go into that game, right? You got the Panthers, you got the Texans. I'm somebody that came out here when we had our NFL preview show. I came out, I said, guys, I want to put the Panthers in the playoffs. I just look at the back end of their schedule and it's brutal. Nothing has changed here. I still like what the Panthers are doing. I like a lot what the Panthers are doing. Um, I'm a guy that looks at coaching. I think Matt Rule is a budding star in the coaching ranks in this league. I love, obviously, the running game. Christian McCaffrey can't really do any better than that. And I like defense. You got to like Jeremy Chin and Brian Burns. This is a defense that may not have the names that you want on it, but they have the playmakers on defense. So, well-coached team, good running game, good defense. Carolina's going to win some games. I liked them last week, and I told you guys about it last week. Here is a dangerous spot for them, though. It's a dangerous spot because the Panthers are coming off of a division game, a division home game, where they beat a team they weren't supposed to beat. They're sitting here 2-0. This is now a question of how do these guys deal with success? Their leading man, and he is, look, we all know it's McCaffrey's team, but the quarterback is the leader of the team. Sam Darnold doesn't know what it's like to have success. He doesn't know what it's like to have expectations. He doesn't know what it's like to be expecting to blow out a home team on on prime time like the Texans here. And I don't know how they're going to handle that. You know, the initial reaction is the Panthers are going to win this game. The Panthers are going to cover the spread. And I look at it and I go, yeah, all right, that makes sense, right? I mean, uh, you, you can't bet the Texans here. But the Texans have been competitive in the first two games, right? But it's just this defense. Carolina's defense has allowed only 128 yards to the Saints Uh, who scored 38 in week one, okay? That's pretty awesome. And you look at Sam Darnold and what he's done, you know, 305 yards in week one, 279 yards in week two. Um, He only threw for 275 yards in back-to-back games once before in his career. By the way, you prop players out there, over-under set at 265 for Thursday night's game. So if you like Sam Darnold, It's an interesting over-under. And here's another prop before we go into the game itself. Here's another prop play that jumped out at me. Tight ends this year against the Houston Texans have 18 catches for 177 yards. Now, Carolina doesn't rely upon their tight end too much, but Dan Arnold's over-under is only 22 yards. Anytime touchdown score, a plus 400. Just to wet your whistle a little bit. Um, Panthers and Texans, by the way, both of them are 2-0 against the spread. This all comes down to Tyrod Taylor, and Tyrod Taylor was playing well. I hearken everybody back to last year. Tyrod Taylor was a player that beat out Justin Herbert for the starting job. Okay, now you can tell me that they had a bad coaching staff. I agree. You can tell me it was a terrible decision. I agree. Okay, I agree on most things that you're going to say negative about that coaching staff, Anthony Lynn, and the decision making. But he did. I mean, Tyrod Taylor has always had talent. He's always had had that. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have that. You don't have that leader. You don't have that talent. You don't have that mobility. They're bringing in Davis Mills. I like Davis Mills. When we talked about it during the, you know, the draft time, I said, you know what? Davis Mills is a great shot. I thought the Bears could get him like in round two or three. I, I, I thought he was a, a good kind of roll of the dice. But against this Panthers defense, 
in prime time for his first ever start? It's asking a lot. It's asking a lot. The Panthers, they've allowed a league low 190 yards per game so far. The best defense in the league if you go by that metric, okay? Now, away teams are always at a built-in disadvantage on Thursday night. You have lack of practice time. You have lack of travel. But I will repeat what I talked about on my Vegas show for years. I've spoken to coaches. I've spoken to, um, you know, many players out there over the years. And the prevailing thought about Thursday night is this. You can't change anything. There's not enough practice time to change things between Sunday and Thursday. And that goes for both teams. So... However you performed the game before in players and coaches' minds is how you're going to perform. So if you go out there and you won, like the Carolina Panthers did, and you looked really good against New Orleans, like the Carolina Panthers did, well, you don't have to change much up, right? Things worked out. Everything was pretty good. We don't really have practice time to switch anything up and travel and everything else. So we're going to run generally the same game plan that got us success last time. Okay, that's good. Generally, if you're bad, you don't have time to change that either. So if you didn't look good the week before, the Texans, um, well, if you didn't look good, you can't really change things up. You can't say that's not working for us. You can't really switch the playbook. You can't practice changing it up. So I don't want to say that they kind of phone in Thursday night, but the coaching staff sort of phones in and they go, all right, that's a little bit of a problem. We don't have enough practice time to do it. Ah, we got extra days on the 10-day uh, you know, off before the next week. That's when we'll work on it. That's just, it's just human nature. It's just the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation is the Carolina Panthers shouldn't have to change much up. They looked good in week one, albeit against the Jets team, but they looked good in week one. They looked really good in week two. Their defense looks fantastic. Sam Darnold is playing the best football of his NFL career. McCaffrey looks really good. There's not a lot that this Carolina Panthers team needs to fix. Maybe they are going to sit back and go, you know what? Uh, We found a hole in the Texans' defense, so we're going to call more plays to Dan Arnold and the tight end because we see a hole in the tight end. Okay, sure. You're going to tinker. You're going to tweak things up if you're Carolina. But overall, you're happy with your team. You're happy with the direction of your team. You are happy with the way things are going, so you're not going to do too much. On the other side, Houston, how do you feel? How does Coach David Tully feel? And I'm honestly asking because it's easy to say, well, Houston's 0-2, so obviously they're going to switch things up. It's easy to say that. I don't think so. I don't think you can watch their games, watch who they went up against, watch the personnel that they're throwing out there and say that they've done anything but be an effective team. They've been effective. Now, they haven't gotten over the hump. They haven't won that game. But I wouldn't change much if I'm the Texans. Look, I'm coming home. It's a short week. Things are working for us, okay? We need to just kind of get a break here or there, a bounce here or there. Houston's been in these games. Houston's been right there. Houston gave Cleveland all they can handle. I mean, Houston has been right there. So this is a weird week because Davis Mills gets inserted in. If Mills wasn't there... Give me the seven and a half all day with Houston. All day with Houston if Mills wasn't there. 
I don't care. It's a home team. It's on prime time. It's a short week. And, and Houston has looked rather impressive the first two weeks, despite their record. But with Mills there now and facing Jeremy Chin and Thompson and Brian Burns and the defense that is just playing at an elite level right now, how can you possibly take a rookie here? This is one of those games where you go back and last week we sat here and I told you and I told everybody on the Wanna Bet show on Sundays, I told everybody on our regular show, anybody that would listen to me, I said, Zach Wilson will not score a touchdown. And the Jets may get shut out. Now, the Jets weren't shut out. Zach Wilson didn't score a touchdown. He looked terrible. It was against Bill Belichick. Sure, this isn't against Belichick, but this is a rookie quarterback who, you know, look, he was a late-round quarterback. He's in over his head here, right? He's out over his skis. He's making his pro debut uh, as a starter in prime time against the number one statistical defense in the league right now. It's a lot to ask. So I don't think you could bet Houston. But I don't love laying more than a touchdown on the road a short week in prime time. It's just a recipe for disaster. So where I was saying is that it would not shock me to see, you know, Davis Mills have a little mobility. Brandon Cooks, by the way, he had 14 targets and the next closest Texan had two last week. It wouldn't shock me to see Davis Mills and, and David Mills and watch the running game carry the load with Ingram and Lindsey and Johnson and slow this game down. And it wouldn't shock me a 24-17 win by Carolina. And you lose by the hook. It also wouldn't shock me to watch everything continue to work well for Carolina. Every single position player to play where they're playing. For Sam Darnold to be on point. For Christian McCaffrey to have one of those McCaffrey type of games. And for this defense to step up. It wouldn't shock me to watch a game sit here and turn around and and be, uh, you know, 41-10. That wouldn't shock me either. So, I'm staying away from this game. I could give you stats. I give you numbers. The Panthers are 7-1 against the spread on the road under Matt Rule. You know, that was the best mark in their league. Best road mark in the league. That's big time. But they also weren't 7.5-point favorites on the road all year last year, right? Um, Panthers cover really well. They're 7-3 the last 10 against the spread. We understand that, you know, on... Thursday night football, though, if you're looking for some negatives to the Panthers, they are 0-7 against the spread in their last seven games on Thursday night football. So, this is a dangerous game. I gave you a couple prop plays I like. To me, this is Carolina or nothing. You know, I always talk about uh, survivor pool. If you want to throw Carolina in a survivor pool, I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous to take a road team. I think it's dangerous to take a road team on a Thursday night, but I can't talk you completely out of it. I get where your head's at, but I want you to be cautious about this game. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do, we're going to go through every game. I'm going to throw out stats, trends, analysis against the spread. Look, we got a big injury week, so I'll give you what I have for the injury front as well. All that and more right after this on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds, guys? I have the odds to win the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans are now a two to one favorite 
Indianapolis plus 240, Jacksonville 11 to 1, and Houston is 16 to 1. That is what are the odds? It's very interesting that Tennessee and Indy flip-flopped so much after two games. But look, I just gave you the percentages of staring 0-3 in the face. And that's where we're going to start. Let's talk about Colts-Titans this week. Look, the road team has won five in a row here. This is all about Carson Wentz and his injury. Carson Wentz is injured. Eason might be in there. Let me tell you something. I don't know if it's that big of a fall-off. I really don't. You don't want Carson Wentz in there hobbled. You don't want that uh, being the situation, right? Indy's still desperate to avoid 0-3. So I'm looking at this Colts team, and I'm going, you know, look, this is a spot for the Colts to really get right. And sending Tennessee with a loss and getting to 1-2 and two fixes nearly everything that backs against the wall. They've done things well, okay? And you have to pay attention to that. They really have done things well. I know that they're sitting at 0-2. They've effectively run the ball. This run defense held the Rams, the defense, to 3.5 yards per carry, so they're they're getting that done. LA was just 3-9 on third down. The Colts had a pair of turnovers, right? Um, The Colts are having some struggles, but their run game is working. It's ranked 16th, right? But they're rushing for 111 yards per game. It's their passing game that's a problem. 234, that's an issue. They're averaging only 20 points, which ranks them 25th in the league. Their red zone efficiency is gotten worse and worse under Reich every year. 2018, it was 67%. 2019, it was 64%. 2020, it's 57%. This year, it's 33%. Now, on the other side, look, Tennessee, Derrick Henry, he's 230 yards from scrimmage, three scores. He looks fantastic. Uh, Fourth quarter, two fourth quarter touchdowns. That forced overtime. He looks great. But, again, he didn't look like his customary self in game one and for the half in game two. Now he's going up against Darius Leonard. What uh, A.J. Brown leads uh, the, the world right now in drop passes. What are the Titans going to do? What are they going to do this week, potentially, if Henry doesn't have any running room, if all of a sudden Leonard starts shutting him down, that's a question I think you got to look at hard here. All right, Falcons, Giants, two 0-2 teams, both of trying to avoid that 0-3. The Giants got a couple of extra days off, and they looked okay on Thursday night. I mean, it really depends on what you think about Washington. The Falcons have only allowed one rushing touchdown on the year. Saquon Barkley's supposed to get a lot more uh, carries here. Saquon Barkley's kind of supposed to be the guy. Well, that's a telling stat. Falcons' defense is not good. They've allowed eight passing touchdowns, right? That's the most in the NFL. They're not good, but you're going to have to throw on them. And Daniel Jones isn't exactly somebody that that's the guy that's going to go out there and throw on them. But Daniel Jones' air yards per completion in the NFL leads the NFL. Matt Ryan, by the way, is dead last. Okay, the Falcons let up 80 points in two losses. That's terrible. Now, I think the Giants are going to try to get Saquon back involved and try to get that rushing attack, but it's smarter to just attack the Falcons through the air. I mean, that's what you want to do. The Buccaneers just demolished them. Five touchdowns in the air, 48 points, right? It, the That's something that you have to look at. Is Daniel Jones going to be able to take advantage of? He hasn't even really looked at Kenny Galladay, okay? And the Giants' offensive line, by the way, they've given up six sacks already. That's tied for fourth worst in the NFL. So if the Falcons' game plan is just going to be, okay, we're going to shut down your run and get after Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones is going to have to make some plays. 
mean, that's what he's going to have to do. Matt Ryan, I know, look, he, he's had his struggles, but he looked good at times, right? The Falcons' pass protection is just, it's just bad. So I expect the Giants to live in the backfield here. New York is also allowing the eighth most rushing yards per opponent. So where the Giants should be attacking Atlanta downfield, and you look at this and you go, okay, the Giants are a three-point favorite, and that's what they're supposed to be at home. Giants have to attack downfield while Atlanta has to keep it on the ground. Does anybody believe in Mike Davis, or do you believe in Daniel Jones to throw the ball, not to run the ball? That's the question here. All right, how about the big game and the big game Chargers-Chiefs? This line has crept up. It opened at seven, went down to six and a half, went all the way down to six. Now it's back to six and a half, and I'm seeing some sevens out there. One and one and one and one. The Chargers had a weird game last week. It was a weird game. Their defense effectively shut down Dallas, but they lost the game. Okay? Um, Their offense moved the ball all day, but they couldn't punch it in. There were penalties and penalties and penalties and penalties, and especially in the red zone. The Chiefs, well, we all watched... The last two weeks, Chiefs can't stop the run. Couldn't stop the run against Cleveland. They should have lost that game. The Chiefs should be 0-2. Could not stop the run against Baltimore. And Baltimore said, you you can't stop the run so much that we're going to shove it down your face at the end of the game. The Chiefs cannot stop the run. But the Chargers come in here, and they're not a running team. As good as Austin Eckler is, and I like Austin Eckler, right? He's just not the lower your head, pounded into the ground kind of guy that, that gives this team problems, right? Kansas City, though, they are a bad covering team. They have covered the the spread four times since last October, okay? They're 0-2 against the spread here. No one's shocked. Nobody's shocked, okay? So that's something to pay attention to. Chargers, meanwhile, 21-11-7 against the spread as a road dog visiting a divisional opponent. So that helps out a little bit if you're looking for that. Chiefs are 1-9 against the spread in the last 10 regular season games. There's just a lot where the Chief, that says, look, the Chiefs win. They just don't cover the spread. And that's all we care about, really, right? Let's go back to last week where I talked about it. The Chargers were flagged 12 times for 99 yards. I just don't see that happening again here. I know that some teams can be undisciplined. But most of the time, you don't have two ter- just horrendous kind of jobs two weeks in a row like that. I just don't see that two weeks in a row. And then you get Herbert. Herbert keeps blossoming. Herbert keeps getting there. Herbert recorded his 10th 300-yard game. Um, Penalties took away his passes. So you don't go, oh, wow, he had a great game. But he did pretty well. He did pretty well. And the Chargers were 19 this year, are 19 to 31 on third down conversions. That's pretty huge, right? So... Not only are they playing effectively, they're converting when they need to convert. That's something to pay attention to. Now, the Chargers do struggle against tight ends. So Travis Kelsey, dial him up. He's got 15 catches, 185, three touchdowns already this year. They are 28th in the league against defending the tight end. And you prop players out there that you want to take a shot at that. Look, this is a game where I look at it and I go, the Chargers plus the six and a half is very tempting. We also know, though, Patrick Mahomes finally threw an interception. It's his first September interception ever. He also has never lost in September at home. So I hate spots. I hate spots where you go, I think this team's going to win, but I think this team's going to cover. My mantra is always, if you're going to take an underdog, expect them to win. If you're going to take a favorite, just you know, expect them to, to blow them out. That's kind of where I like to live. In this spot, I think Kansas City wins the game, but they just never cover, so I could see... 
San Diego slash LA keeping it close. All right, let's talk Bengals, Steelers again. One and one, one and one. The line opened up at five, dropped to four and a half, dropped to four, dropped to three and a half. I've seen some threes out there. And well, this is all about the Steelers' issues. Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson. The Steelers come out after the game and they go, Deontay Johnson, our number one receiver, uh, avoided a big-time injury. And everybody goes, oh, okay, great. You know, everybody in Pittsburgh kind of sighs. And you go, all right, that, that's fantastic. Good stuff. Then Deontay Johnson puts this weird Instagram tweet of, like, the comeback is going to be great. It sounds like he's out for the year. I mean, what is going on here? T.J. Watt is banged up. Uh, they have a defensive tackle banged up. Their linebacker, Devin Bush, is banged up. I mean, this is a banged-up Steelers team on both sides of the board. Pittsburgh is averaging just 57 yards rushing per game. You look at the Steelers rushing yards in the first two games, 414 yards last year was 250 Okay, so we have a problem. And Big Ben, by the way, out of 72 passes, about five times he's thrown the ball over the middle. He's going outside. He's going to the flats. This isn't a good-looking situation. But on the other side, look, the Bengals have not won in Heinz Field since 2015. Joe Burrow has also taken nine sacks through two games. So, you know, you look at this, and three straight picks by Joe Burrow. The Bears exposed Burrow. And the Bears got into his face. If the Steelers could do the same thing, they're going to cause turnovers. I lean the Bengals just because of the Steelers' injuries. But the Steelers might be good enough without these guys to rattle the Bengals and rattle what they're doing. Speaking of those Bears, let's get into it. One and one, one and one. This line opened up at seven. It went up to seven and a half. And people are loading up on the Browns. People are loving the Browns. But then again, you're going to get a lot of Bears people. You're going to get a lot of Bears people because the chosen one is probably making the start, and that's Justin Fields. Justin Fields didn't look very good, um, but you saw a lot of drop passes. You saw what he has when he's going to get in there. He's going to be exciting, okay? Um, the Bears don't travel well. They're 2-5 and five against the spread the last seven. Cleveland, meanwhile, you go there and you go, they've averaged 30 points per game over the first two games. One of the league's best offensive line, I think that is their best offensive line, has really protected Baker Mayfield. But Baker Mayfield might be without Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham here, which means they have to run the ball. And Cleveland's going, you know what? We want to run the ball? I love running the ball. Let's go, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, right? They have combined for 262 yards, four rushing touchdowns so far, ranks third in the NFL. They love to run the ball. But the Bears are going, all right, that's cool. Run the ball. Because our defense ranks fifth in the NFL in rushing yards allowed. We want you to try to run. So this is strength against strength, pressure against pressure. It really comes down to this. Look, I think Cleveland's going to have some rushing uh, success. I think the Bears defensively going to have some success shutting down the rush. That's not what I'm looking at. This is Justin Fields against this defense. So far on the year... Uh, Miles Garrett's been basically absent. Where, where, where is he? Where is Johnson, the, the new uh, defensive back? Where, where, where are the Cleveland defensive players that were supposed to kind of step up here? Cleveland has just three sacks in two games. That's going to turn around. Does it turn around here is what you have to think about if you're betting this game. All right, Ravens, Lions. Ravens looked really good. And here it is. Look, I'm not even going to go crazy here. And tell you all, you know, the stats and the numbers. and Here's what you need to know about this game. The Ravens are nearly a double-digit favorite. If you believe in their mental stability, you take the Ravens. 
The Ravens are 10 points better than the Lions. Lions are actually banged up and they just don't have the personnel, right? We've seen that. But the Ravens are coming off of the biggest emotional win pretty much in Lamar Jackson's career. Beating Patrick Mahomes, beating him at home, beating him in primetime, beating him where your whole team is injured, beating him playing your game. This is the biggest emotional win. Now it's letdown time going to face the lowly Lions. That's all you need to know here. The Ravens are 6-1 against the spread the last seven games as a favorite. The Ravens are 11-5 against the spread the last 16 road games. They're 8-2 against the spread the last 10 overall. I can give you all the good stuff for the Ravens, right? Ravens, Ravens, Ravens. This is about more than just statistics. This is about the mental abilities of the Ravens and their emotion to kind of take it all in. That's an interesting way to go and approach this game. Saints, Patriots, 1-1, one 1-1. One, one one. Saints looked like well because that's it. Super Bowl champs week one, week two. Oh, they're awful. They're not even making the playoffs. Patriots, you know, look, they've looked the same in the first two weeks. Got to rely upon big-time defense. Got to rely upon the running game. Mac Jones, just don't make mistakes and no problem. New England humiliated Zach Wilson. He picked him all or four times and he looked even worse than that. But we knew that. Bill Belichick is now 22-6 and six against rookie quarterbacks. And we knew that was going to going to happen. I mean, it's just the way that it is, right? But the Patriots, right, for all the good that they did, they've allowed 11 and a half points per game. They got five interceptions, you know, uh, that's great. But the Patriots actually allowed the Jets to have more total yards of offense, more time of possession, more first downs. That's a concern. Now, Jameis Winston hasn't looked too good. Forget about the touchdown. Look, he hasn't thrown for a lot of yards, okay? Threw for 111 last week. And this is going to be another game where you kind of get into his head, right? The Saints are now playing their third straight road game. Don't forget, they played in Jacksonville, so they're living in hotels. It's another road game. They're also down three defensive players. That's a problem here, okay? That's an issue here. So New England minus three makes a lot of sense, but I don't like the metrics that the Jets actually had time of possession in a game they were losing. I don't like the fact that they have more total offense in a game that they got just destroyed. That's a bad metric for me. All right, let's talk Cardinals, Jags. Everybody loves the Cardinals now. That's it. Murray might win the MVP. Cardinals might go to the Super Bowl. And the Jags, this is awful. Urban Meyer, just go to USC. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a bust. Why is the line only seven? Or seven and a half in some spots. Why is the line only seven? I don't know. This is the head scratcher line of the week right? Jaguars are 0-2 against the spread. Jaguars have looked awful. They've allowed the seven most passing yards per game at all, just 295 and a half. Six highest yards per attempt at almost nine. The Jaguars have a minus five turnover ratio. The Jaguars have averaged just 292 total yards of offense, right? I mean, the Jaguars have attempted just 27 rushing yards, 27 rushing attempts, I'm sorry, for running backs. Even though they got 4.5 yards per carry, the Jaguars have run three plays in the red zone all year. All three plays, by the way, were going to Marvin Jones. Three plays. Trevor Lawrence, 36% of his passes have been uncatchable. Highest rate in the league. Jags have scored four touchdowns. One game with five seconds left in a mop-up duty and one on a 102-yard return. The Jags are terrible. Why is this line only seven? Kyler Murray threw for 400 yards and a win. Right? Three passing, one rushing four total touchdowns, 370 passing yards, total offense per game. Kyler Murray is completing 73.5% of his passes, 689 yards through the air in two games, nine total touchdowns. 
Why is this line still seven? Why is this line seven? Weird, strange, and dangerous line here. I know a lot of you guys are going out there and taking Arizona on your, uh, you know, survival picks. I can't talk you out of it. But I'm sitting here and I'm going weird, strange, unusual lines. Washington and the Bills, this line just keeps going up. One and one against one and one. Line opened up at about seven and a half. It's up to nine and a half in favor of the hometown Bills. We can take a lot of positives away from Buffalo. They ran the ball well. Zach Moss rushed for two touchdowns. Devin Singletary, 46-yard touchdown run. They ran the ball really well, and they looked pretty good. But Josh Allen just doesn't look the same here. Josh Allen on 15-plus air yard attempts, right? 2020, he was 49 of 101. That's just about 48.5%. This year, he's 4 of 17, 23.5%. Allen's completed just 33% of his fastest so far in the 10 to 25-yard line. Last year, was 62.5%. Okay? Buffalo, their defense looks good. They've allowed the second-fewest passing yards per game, and they've had the ninth-most attempts, so it looks good. Now, Taylor Heineke is coming in, and he is... A rookie quarterback still, even though he's been in the league, he's getting that first start on the road in this spot. So I get why people are on the Bills, but my fear is that Josh Allen is not the same. You know, we all were just in awe that Josh Allen was able to make that leap, right? That massive leap from year one to year two to year three. Oh man, the improvements were just massive. And the improvements were just out of control. We couldn't believe the improvements that were made. It was just something unbelievable when you look at how how much that... Well, if he regresses a little bit, instead of being Josh Allen MVP, he goes back into Josh Allen being a little better than average. How about average? That's a dangerous territory because that he is the offense. I can't effectively count on Singletary to continue to run. I can't effectively count on Zach Moss in this game. You know, I can't count on that. I could count on Josh Allen, and Josh Allen is concerning to me here in the first two games. Now, look, look at the defenses that he's played, right? Miami and Pittsburgh will end the year in the top five defense. Miami probably has the best secondary in the league with Howard and company, right? And the Steelers probably have the best pass rush in the league. So, yes. It is a product of him playing tough defenses. Washington was supposed to be one of those tough defenses. Now, Daniel Jones didn't think so. Uh, But Washington is supposed to be one of those tough defenses. Josh Allen this week is a really interesting week for me. If he struggles again, you're going to start hearing people go, "Uh uh-oh, it's a fluke. You're going to start hearing the fluke word. If he struggles again here. If he goes crazy and you could go, okay, look, he just faced two very good defenses. And he got out of those two defenses, by the way, at one-on-one. So no big deal. But again... I want to look at down the line. What is Josh Allen? I still think we're kind of making and forming our opinion of him for what is in the future. Now let's bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. future. All right, guys, let's bet to the future. You know, I like to do this every now and then, and 
now is the time, and now is the time we're going to take a shot at it. Look, here are the MVP odds. I love how everybody talks about it. So we got Tom Brady plus 450. That's a big change. You were able to get him at like 12 to 1 just a couple of weeks ago. Kyler Murray at plus 550. Again, a big change from him. He was at 14 or 15 to 1. Patrick Mullins plus 575 has always been near the top of the list. Aaron Rodgers 12 to 1. Josh Allen has fallen down a little bit at 12 to 1. Matthew Stafford's 12 to 1. Russell Wilson's 12 to 1. Dak Prescott, about 15 to 1. Lamar Jackson, 16 to 1. Derek Carr has come into the conversation at 20 to 1. Justin Herbert, 28 to 1. Baker Mayfield, 40 to 1. And Christian McCaffrey is the highest number for a non quarterback at 45 to 1. And that is bet to the future. All right, guys, let's get right back into it because we got all of the late games to still go here. We're going to start it off with the 0-2 Jets at the Broncos 2-0. This line is now crossed into that double-digit territory. It opened up at 9.5 quickly, very quickly, went to a 10, 10.5. Now it's sitting at 11, and it's double digits. You guys know how I feel. I can't stand double digits in the NFL. I just don't like it. I've never liked it. It's not something that uh, I, I want to go any part of or have anything to do with. But if there's a spot, it might be here, right? Zach Wilson might not have been seeing ghosts out there. By the way, heads up to the guy that asked that in the New York media. That was pretty great. But he looked terrible. And look, he's got a fastball. He's going to create some stuff. All the things that we thought about him. But he's going to make some giant mistakes. Now he's without his left tackle. And he was last game. And we watched how terrible that wound up being. Look, the Jets offense has mustered 10 points. it's averaging through two games. I mean, this is, it's bad. It's getting ugly. Obviously, they're 0-2 against the spread. But let's talk about Denver, okay? Teddy Automatic, Teddy Bridgewater continues to just be that guy, right? Denver's 2-0 against the spread to start the year. Teddy Bridgewater is now 23-3 against the spread and 26 career road starts. I mean, the guy is just money for sports bettors, and he has been his whole career. I know it's a little fluky and it doesn't really matter, but it shows to how well he's playing. The Broncos are 4-1 against the spread in the last five games as a favorite. This is the first time the Broncos are at home. Um, You know, it's going to be a loud environment. Early in September games, we often hear about the thin air and how that matters. Von Miller's going up against a Jets team with no left tackle and a replacement there. This defense has allowed just 13 points per game. Von Miller already has three sacks. It just looks bad. It looks bad for the Jets. I never advocate for taking uh, and laying the the double digits, but I can't take a team with double digits most of the time, just because again my philosophy is that I think the Jets, you know, can the Jets win? No, absolutely not. For full disclosure, this is my survivor pull pick, so I don't think that. But I still am hesitant to lay double digits. I am still hesitant. Can I find a path? where the Jets, you know, lose this game 20 to 10. Yeah, I can. I could find that path. By the way, I think Javante Williams, who's, who was injured a little bit all week, I think he is your buy in fantasy. I, I like this kid, man. I, he's got big-time tackle rate, but don't expect him to take over the load. You know, I, I keep hearing people in the fantasy community, oh, the end of the year, Javante Williams is going to be by himself. No, they didn't pay Melvin Gordon, like, the fifth-highest running back salary to sit on the bench. They like a timeshare. Uh, Melvin Gordon will be gone after this year, and then his Williams is kind of backfield to run. Let's talk about the Dolphins and the Raiders. The Raiders! 
are 2-0. Dolphins are 1-1. Dolphins might not have a quarterback. Raiders are going, yeah, I think we have one. Derek Carr has looked absolutely fantastic. This line opened up at about 3.5. It's up to 5.5. Everybody has been on the Raiders. And it's interesting because everyone was on the Raiders in week one Monday night. They won and covered. The line had a lot of people coming in on the Raiders in week two, so much so that the line fell from six and a half and it went off at five at game time. People love betting the Raiders. Everyone is on the Raiders. I'm looking at numbers of upwards of 90% for this game. Everybody still loves the Raiders, right? Tua, we don't know if he's going to play. Basically, they said it's a pain management thing. But let me clarify this. When people say pain management, it's not like, oh man, that hurts, I'm going to play through it. No, 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 no. Look, pain management is, how does it affect your game? Bruised ribs can affect the velocity on the ball. It can affect mechanics. It can affect mobility. So, Tua might be a gamer and go, yeah, I don't care, I'm hurt, but I can play. But he doesn't have the zip on his fastball. His mechanics are off. It's a problem. Or maybe his mobility and he's not able to follow through. It's not just pain management where you think, oh man, that guy, uh, you know, he's just a tough guy. No, it has a lot to do with that. So the Tua thing is is certainly there. Derek Carr, though, let's make him a story because he's averaging over 400 yards passing in his first two games. The Raiders uh, are 4-1 against the spread in the last five games following a straight-up win. Derek Carr looks really good commanding this offense, even without Josh Jacobs. Darren Wall looks like the guy Remember that Ruggs missed some time because of injuries and problems, and and all of a sudden he looks like the burner. Maybe they thought he was going to be. Everything's going right for the Raiders. The only thing I'm going to say is this. Pump your brakes a little bit because Miami's defense is still very, very good. Very, very good. And the Raiders, for all you Raiders fans out there, and I know you're going to call me a hater here, but the Raiders in 2019 started 6-4 and four and they finished 7-9. and nine. The Raiders in 2020 started 6-3 and three and finished at 8-8. Eight and eight. We've seen hot starts by the Raiders before, guys. So, let's calm down. How about Seahawks and Vikings? The line is 1. The Vikings are a small home underdog in this one. And this is interesting. Vikings are 0-2. Miss kick here. Seattle with a meltdown. Seattle's telling themselves they should be 2-0. And the Vikings are going, we should be 2-0, right? I mean, that's what they're looking at, except we're looking at 1-1 and 0-2. The Seahawks had a 14-point fourth quarter lead disappear because Derrick Henry just made them look look just silly out there. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, you can look at Wilson and you can look at well, you know, what he's been. He's going to be consistent all the time. Wilson actually has a really good record against Mike Zimmer's defense. The Vikings are 0-7 against Wilson Seahawks, 2-5 against the spread, and they've lost three in a row, okay? And the Seahawks come in, and they win those games by, like, just under two touchdowns. So they're killing them. Vikings home games, though, 7-0-1 to the over in 2020. They expect it to be kind of a shootout here. This is all dependent upon Dalvin Cook. If Dalvin Cook can run even 80% the way that Derrick Henry ran, it will be no problem. Dalvin Cook in Minnesota will clean this up and they will absolutely destroy them. But if that fails to happen and they force the issue here and they force Dalvin Cook and it's just not working or he's you know hurting, I know he was uh, questionable, this could get ugly. 
in another way where Wilson comes in there and wins. Now, I like home dogs. I like home dogs facing 0-3. I like home dogs facing 0-3. I like home dogs that, that are sitting there. I like any team that's sitting there with, they should have won last week, oh, and they just got it away from them. I like all of that, guys. All of it. This is a spot here where I kind of lean Minnesota, but I just look at the history and I go, it's a dangerous history. I'm going to jump to the Sunday night game. Packers, Niners. Niners are 2-0, right? The Packers are 1-1. Did everything get right with the world with Aaron Rodgers? Because what I saw was Aaron Rodgers and the Packers losing at the half. Now, Detroit's roster just says that they're not good enough to continue to compete, and that's what happened. They just weren't good enough to continue to compete Monday night. But they were in it. I watched this Packers team have all kinds of problems stopping the run. Now, the Niners want to run the ball, but they lost their starting running back, right? Ray Mostert, out. They lost their backup running back, Mitchell. They lost their third string running back in Sherman. They lost their foot. I mean, they, they, they don't know who's playing. They don't know what running game, but they know, you know what? It doesn't really matter because it's going to be effective no matter what. We run all over them. And Shanahan absolutely owns this team. And two starts against Green Bay at Levi Stadium, the Niners won 37 to 8. They were three point favorites on a Sunday night football game, and 37 20 as an eight point favorite in the conference championship game. Shanahan is 29 and 26 and 9 straight up and 2014 and 1 against the spread with Garoppolo. He does really well with Garoppolo, by the way. Only 7 and 27 straight up and 14 and 20 without him. Garoppolo may not be your cup of tea, but he is effective and he wins games. Now, the Niners' offensive line is going to be a key here. They allowed the least amount of pressure on their quarterbacks so far through the year. The Packers are missing Zadarius Smith. How are they going to get any kind of pass rush? The Packers have the league's lowest sack rate. Okay? So, you look at this and you go, the Packers pressured Jared Goff on you know, 30% of his dropbacks. They only got him to him one time. This all comes down to, will the Packers get to Jimmy Garoppolo? Jimmy gets the ball out fast. Jimmy has uh, no pressure on him normally. That's what this game comes down to. I think the Niners make sense, but I see the public backing the Packers here. Let's go to Monday Night Football game. Eagles, Cowboys. Basically, this game is this, okay? The Cowboys have to score 30 plus. One and one, one and one. Cowboys are four-point favorites. Jerry World, right? We know that. The home team is 5-0 and against the spread in the last five meetings. Eagles don't win in this spot. The Cowboys uh, are... Running the ball well, 6.4 yards per carry, but it's Tony Pollard that's doing the damage. The Cowboys got a massively impressive win last week, in my opinion, because their biggest problems were not problems. Their defense, without Demarcus Lawrence, without Randy Gregory, is a problem. And it wasn't for some reason last week against the Chargers. For whatever reason, it wasn't a problem last week. And Dak Prescott, the, the prevailing thought is, well, if Dak doesn't have a good game, then what? What happens if Dak doesn't have a good game? Well, they won anyway. They won anyway. Now, I don't believe in Jalen Hurts, okay? I I still think he's uh, overrated here. He doesn't have the weapons to go to, but the defense is playing very well, and they're keeping him upright. You have to lean Dallas because they're at home, but this is one of those spots where it's strength against strength, weakness against weakness. If Dak looks good again, it's hard to bet against them. But this defense will eventually bite them. It's going to eventually bite them that Dexter Lawrence and Randy Gregory and nobody can get after the quarterback. It's going to bite them eventually. 
All right. So I gave you the Sunday night game and I gave you the Monday night game because I wanted to come back to what I believe is the biggest game potentially of the year. Certainly of this point in the year. And I know everybody's on Kansas City, Baltimore. No. 2-0 Bucks at 2-0 Rams. The line is about to pick them. you able to maybe get the Bucks plus one at some point this year. And the Bucks and Tom Brady have looked fantastic. Here's what I love. Bruce Arians was asked early in the week, what do you think of your performance? He said, I'm not happy about a damn thing. He wasn't happy about anything. And I get it. The Bucks defense does not look good. Matt Ryan had some success against them. And we all know Dak and the Cowboys had success against them. He said, I'm not happy about a damn thing. Well, clearly, it doesn't mean Tom Brady, but I like that attitude. I like the attitude that we're not playing well, even though we're 2-0. We're not, that's it. We, we, look, we look terrible, even though everybody knows that you guys are the best team in the league, right? Tom Brady's going to L.A. It's the first time he's ever playing in L.A. Never never played there. That's an interesting thing. Um, and the Rams, by the way, the last team to beat the Bucs, the last NFC team to beat the Bucs. Tom Brady struggled last year against this Rams defense. They lost 27-24 at home. Brady usually doesn't let that happen twice in a row. He usually doesn't like teams kind of get the better of him twice in a row, right? And he is on a historic pace. Tom Brady is is setting all sorts of records. He looks great. The Bucs are 5-0 guns to spread the last five games as an underdog. The Bucs also have scored 30 or more points in nine straight games. So now you go to this Rams defense. Well, I watched them against the Bears. I watched them get gassed, just run all over by David Montgomery. Couldn't really pass on them, right? And then Carson Wentz and company, well, they ran the ball. They didn't throw it overly well. This is a weird situation because the Bucs should want to run the ball. But you can't trust that. Not with the way that Brady's playing, you don't think about that. No, not at all, right? Brady's an underdog. He was just an underdog in just two games last season. He's an underdog. I didn't think that they would be underdogs in any game this year. Okay, at all. The Rams, though, you know, they're sitting here at 2-0. I think they're a little lucky to be here. Okay? It's been terrible red zone play from Carson Wentz and a Carson Wentz injury, or the Rams certainly lose last week. And then in week one, look, let's be honest, Andy Dalton had them playing well, and they, they were in that game until the fourth quarter. So... You know, you look at this and you go, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the fact that the Rams are a favorite, okay? A- and everybody, though, is loading up on the Buccaneers. I usually don't like to be in that camp as well. Um, yeah, you know, after a loss, after a loss, the Rams are 11-2 and against the spread. Everything in my being says that the Buccaneers should win this game. I think that Brady's on a quest for undefeated. I think Brady is a guy that will single-handedly take this game over. I think that it's a lot to ask Matt Stafford to win a game like this this quickly. I think that the Rams' defense can be uh, vulnerable to the run in the short passing game, and there's certain X's and O's standpoint that, that certainly gets involved. But I don't know if I could touch this game because it is a road game. I did watch last year in Tampa the Rams absolutely suffocate Brady and, and make him look generally bad. So I don't know if they can replicate that. I don't know if Donald and company can replicate that. I, I'm leaning the Bucks, but it's a weird line. If Tampa Bay was like a two-point favorite, I'd probably be on Tampa. But the fact that they're the underdogs here makes me a little bit nervous. Why are they the underdogs? And why is, is everyone loading up on Tampa Bay and the line really isn't moving? 
That's a concern here. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.